It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. Yeah, the president sounded like he's concerned about it, but no specifics, no change in policy. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. After a long summer and many missed deadlines, the House finally passed the $1.2 trillion bipartisan transportation package. The infrastructure package late Friday night. The final passage was 228 to 206, with the pause button being pressed on the president's Build Back Better plan, the reconciliation bill, for now. The president addressed the nation regarding the bill on Saturday morning. We did something uh, that's long overdue that long has been talked about in Washington, but never actually been done. The House of Representatives passed an Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. That's a fancy way of saying a bipartisan infrastructure bill. For this and more, The Way Forward will bring in our panel. Washington Post columnist and AEI resident fellow Mark Thiessen, national political correspondent for NPR Mara Liason, and White House correspondent for Fox Jackie Heinrich. You know, Jackie, uh, this was a success. Uh, took a while to get across the finish line, but the infrastructure package is now law. And we heard from the Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg today about you know, getting more people to make sure that that $600-plus billion he has at his disposal uh, is deployed well. But the real question, Mark, is what happens with the Build Back Better, the reconciliation bill, and the taxes that are inside it. Uh, and how they pitch this. Yeah, I think there's certainly an uphill battle ahead. I want to get to a couple of things that you mentioned. The bill, the infrastructure bill is as good as law passing the House. But curiously enough, the president has not yet signed it, uh, saying that he wants to wait for all of those members who uh, who voted for it, helped craft it, can be there for the bill signing. Um, I would assume that includes probably some of the 13 House Republicans who voted to pass it. But interestingly enough that they talk so much about the urgency, the need to be passing this legislation, uh, really angered progressives and cutting off the talks uh, as they wanted them to continue to get this done and, and move it forward with some urgency. And now they're waiting until everyone's back in town from recess to have a photo op, essentially. Um, but then moving on to the reconciliation bill, I think that uh, some, some of the hopes of especially some of the 13 House Republicans who voted to vote, who voted for the uh, infrastructure package is that now that you've taken some of those pay fors out of the uh, social spending, you've taken some of the, uh, you know, hard infrastructure that might have been included in a, a bigger reconciliation package if the Democrats had been had pursued this as one deal, uh, as they talked about in the very beginning of this whole thing. Their hope is that 
you know, you've, you've passed some some hard infrastructure, you've got some big spending. Uh, now it might be more difficult to get, especially moderate Democrats to vote in support of a very large reconciliation package. I think we're going to be watching to see what gets stripped out of this when it goes from the House over to the Senate. Do Manchin and Cinema make good on their promises to support the reconciliation bill? Does SALT stay? Um, because there are no guarantees. The progressives have sort of lost their leverage at this point, and uh, it'll be really interesting to watch how quickly they're able to get that done. Yeah, Mara, that is the whole point of originally linking the two bills was so that the progressives knew that there'd be equal buy-in on the second bill, even though it might be a tougher pill to swallow. Right. This has been a pretty tough week for progressives in general. Uh, a couple of uh, two weeks, of course, big losses in um, in Virginia, near death experience in New Jersey. And their whole strategy was to try to hold the hard infrastructure bill hostage to get leverage over Build Back Better. And in the end, they had to stand down. Uh, you know, we can't roll the clock back, but there are certainly people, including Terry McAuliffe, who thought if they had just passed that bipartisan infrastructure bill earlier, uh, he might have been able to hang on in Virginia. So, you know, Build Back Better's future is uncertain, but at least they got a commitment from moderates in the House that if the CBO score, if the referee who says whether things are paid for or not or going to add to the deficit or not, blesses the Build Back Better bill, those moderates in the House will vote for it. The problem is, Mark, that, and Manchin has pointed this out, Senator Manchin from West Virginia, that some of these programs were specifically built in the reconciliation bill to expire in two or exactly. three years. And so when you stretch them out to the usual 10-year uh, marker, uh, the, the price tag goes up exponentially, and it's not paid for by what's in the bill. No, 100%. And look, first of all, just from Manchin and Cinema's perspective, the, the House progressives didn't stand down. There weren't enough Democrat votes to pass this. The Republicans bailed them out. Those thir if it wasn't for those 13 Republicans, the progressives in the House would have killed uh, the bipartisan infrastructure bill. And so Manchin and Cinema now know that their own party's progressive wing tried to kill their bipartisan infrastructure bill and Republicans saved it. Uh, so they owe nothing to these progressives when it comes to what they do in terms of the of the Build Back Better bill. Um, and the reality is, Joe Manchin has said, I'm comfortable with zero. Uh, that that that's where that's his starting point. They're trying to you know, they're now talking about, you know, well, he, he said his ceiling was one point five. Then they said they released a framework for one point seven five. Now they're going to make it one point nine uh, is, is the talk. And it really, it's going to be four trillion dollars because what they're doing is they're creating all of these entitlements and they're not and they're just funding them for a few years and pretending like they're not going to go on for in perpetuity. There's never been an entitlement that's been repealed, probably in the history of this country. That's what they're trying to do. The, 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 the left understands that government is a one way ratchet and that if you create an entitlement, it'll never be repealed. Just look at Obamacare. Uh, they, they lost control of the House. They probably elected Donald Trump over the Obamacare vote. Um, and they, they 10 years later, Republicans weren't able to repeal it. They want to do that on multiple fronts. And Joe Manchin isn't down with that. Yeah. Mara, I think it, it's really interesting that the, the legislative push was so bold, even with these thin, thin majorities. Well, that's one of the questions is what lessons have Democrats taken from what's happened in the last couple of weeks? Uh, they acted as if they could pass a LBJ size agenda without LBJ size majorities. And the Build Back Better bill has been whittled, whittled down to something that they think they can pass through now. 
But um, that's that's a real problem. I mean, they don't have the votes. And the reason they don't have the votes is because in 2020, down ballot, Joe Biden didn't have any coattails. They actually lost seats in the House instead of picking them up. So, you know, Democrats have so much that they have to deal with right now, figuring out what lessons to take from Virginia, figuring out how to go forward with Build Back Better, figuring out how to sell these packages. You know, if you the progressives kind of trashed the infrastructure bill for so long uh, and acted as if anything less than three point five trillion on the Build Back Better bill would be a crushing disappointment. Now they have to turn around and somehow say this is a really great victory. Yeah, and it's fascinating to watch that they continue to go for this is completely paid for and costs, quote unquote. Well, you know, the infrastructure bill also added to the deficit. We should point out the Republicans were happy to vote for two hundred sixty five million dollars. Yeah. To the deficit. Billion. Yeah. I'm sorry, uh, billion. Yeah. Jackie, the other thing is, is that um, talking about coattails. No, Joe Biden didn't have big coattails in 2020. And now he has fewer Because if you look at this USA Today Suffolk poll out where his approval is at 38 percent, where more people exponentially don't want him to run next time, where independents are down in the 20s, where his vice president is at like 26, 28 percent. It is not. I mean, it's a bleak poll after bleak, bleak polls in recent weeks. How does, uh, you know, the confidence at the White House how do they exude confidence in that headwind? Well, it'll it'll be interesting to see if polling that comes out over the next week or two, if that bipartisan bill passing gives the president a bump, uh, especially given that, you know, he, he ran as a moderate and it passed with bipartisan support in both chambers. Um, say what you want about adding to the deficit on that bill. However, you know, they go through the pay force. There were certain things that they could not count just because of the rules. So, you know, generally speaking, this is a, a bipartisan win that on a pretty um, it's, it's not a toxic uh, topic. You're talking about roads, bridges, and and Wi-Fi, and maybe that does something to show that the president was able to get something across um, in a very uh, tense political climate. When you've got, especially, look at the two wings of the Democratic Party. This whole process just really put on display how far apart the moderates and the progressives are, how deep the distrust is between these two wings of the party. And Biden couldn't even get all that done with just Democrats. He had to pull from. Republicans and get get support from Republicans in order to overcome the filibuster in the Senate and then hold on to that in the House. We want to make this a bipartisan win. We'll see if this bails him out in the polls at all. Um, But I don't think it's going to necessarily be enough to improve his standing among Democratic voters who are looking to this second spending bill to get their um, priorities across the things that, you know, progressives and the the party uh, wants to plan a campaign on um, welfare programs, social safety nets, uh, you know, refurbishing sort of the structure of the country and and how uh, we take care of children and elderly and that sort of thing. Uh, That's an uphill battle Mm. that remains. And I don't know if it's going to be enough also to put in the rearview mirror the big foreign policy flaps that he has, uh, you know, the failures of Afghanistan, the France issue. Uh, And we see these sort of unforced errors continue to come out of the White House. um, So it'll be watching if he trips over himself again. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, it's interesting, Mark. We're coming up on a week after Virginia and a lot of people you know, uh, sifting through the tea leaves there about uh, what that really said and and what it meant. Um, you know, 
the economy still was the number one issue, and Glenn Youngkin was was focused on that. Education was definitely up there, and Glenn Youngkin really was on message on all of that. And Terry McAuliffe was off message and, and not a good candidate this time around. But the Afghanistan thing really played high, and the competence surrounding that. You know, military families are big in Virginia, and there's a ton of military in Norfolk and and all over the Commonwealth. And that episode about how Afghanistan happened, not that we were pulling troops out, but how it happened, that Americans were left on the ground, really did get to competency and hurt this president and hurt Terry McAuliffe. Oh, no. If you look back to August 14th to his RCP average, he was at 50 percent. There was a Hill Harris poll a few days before the fall of Kabul uh, that showed he had 55 percent approval and was above board on every issue, including competence and running the government. And after Afghanistan, the floor fell out from under him. So, I mean, you're, you're right about the military voters, but probably most Virginia. I mean, if you look at the top issues that people were were saying they were voting on, foreign policy didn't make it, which is makes sense. It's a gubernatorial race. But a lot of voters said that this was a almost half the electorate said that this was a referendum on Biden. And about a third of those voters uh, voted for for Yunkin. Um, and so, you know, competence is a, is a huge thing. You can hold uh, approval ratings come and go. They rise and fall. Uh, when 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 a poll comes out showing that only 37 percent of the country thinks you're competent, that that's really hard to recover from, uh, because then you saw what you saw after Afghanistan was his approval, not just on foreign policy, not just on fighting terrorism, not just being a commander in chief, but on the economy. Even there was a Quinnipiac poll even had him underwater on COVID, uh, which had been his strong suit. He fell under he fell under the water on every issue. Um, so I think the country has. In many ways, a large segment of the country has just decided this guy is not up to the job. I mean, you've got two thirds of Americans in this new poll that just came out. Sixty four percent don't want him to run for a second term. Uh, that, that's devastating. Right. Guys, let's hold it right there. We'll continue after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Mara, um, James Carnville, uh, Democratic strategist, said that uh, that Democrats need to, some of them, go to woke rehab and uh, <laughs> get out of this woke thing. And, of course, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez criticized him for focusing on the word woke and saying that's passe, I guess, in uh, progressive circles. But the bottom line is, is that that is a message out of Virginia and New Jersey and other uh, voting uh, blocks around the country. And yet we have this push, for example, on this DOJ effort to pay illegal immigrants separated from their families and the White House getting into a defense of that. And the practical sense, the practical sense of it seems off. Right. That's something that's working its way through the courts. This is not a policy that Joe Biden decided to do. This is something that he might be forced to do by a court and they're trying to negotiate a settlement. But that aside, the fact is that when you don't have a message, you know who's not woke? Joe Biden is not very woke. And his he's he likes to say that most of the stuff that that (laughs) the climate climate summit, definitely he wasn't literally and figuratively. But right. (laughs) But. You know, when you most of the jobs that are going to be created in the infrastructure bill and a lot of build back better is for blue collar non-college workers. And 
He wants to build a middle class. He is not inv heavily invested in left-wing social issues. But the problem is the Democrats didn't have a way to message that. So, you know, what gets through? The hot-button cultural issues. And there's plenty uh, of exaggerated wokeness, if you want to use that word, for the right to have a field day with. And they did. And, and Democrats, you know, the White House needs to kind of get a hold of its message, decide what it's selling, uh, and make that paramount. But, you know, it just seems like they are being very sensitive uh, to that progressive side. And you look at somebody like Eric Adams, uh, the new New York City. He's mayor. not woke. Exactly. He <laughs> comes out and says, you know, little kids need to be in school and smile. Yeah. And, and they, so they we need to take off to, the masks to, to protect black and brown neighborhoods. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so that that is a Democrat who's maybe sensing the practicality yep. of changing the message. And there Jackie, are plenty of them. Yeah. Yeah. Jackie, I, I do want to. Uh, just follow on the illegal immigrant thing and the DOJ lawsuit. I, I wonder how many lawsuits from different groups and organizations, this one's from the ACLU, um, against the government, either the DOJ or the EPA, uh, get settled in a, you know, that is a administration decision, the settlement of that, and what that dollar figure is to X number of groups. I mean, I don't think we have a full sense of how deep that goes outside of the circle of Congress, which is really the body that deals with money. But oh, it, these settlements are happening all the time. We do not have a sense of how many there are. And I think that a really important question we need to ask is, you know, when does precedent become policy? Because, you know, they might make the argument that this was a, you know, a one-off situation that was negotiated through the two parties and that they arrived at this conclusion. But, uh, you know, court of law, you might look to previous examples of, you know, why one outcome should be, uh, you know, the case over another. And then also you have the president making offhand comments like, you know, of course, they're entitled to some of that money if they were, you know, separated from their families. That begs other questions. How long constitutes being separated? Uh, Peter Ducey asking, you know, today in the briefing, you know, is it a matter of hours? Is it days? Not getting a straight answer from the White House. I, I think that it's really interesting um, that this whole story, we we started asking about it and the administration wasn't ready with an answer. They shot it down saying these are garbage reports, basically shaming us into even asking the question, shame us for asking. And then, you know, a, a total about face just a day later uh, or a couple days later. And really no explanation for how we got from point A to point B. And going back to the whole discussion about messaging, I mean, it just show, goes to show you that there isn't any sort of continuum. Uh, there, it doesn't appear to be there's any thought going into how they're messaging. They're just very responsive to certain, you know, cultural uh, pulse points. But yeah. it's not, it doesn't seem to be really well thought out. And that makes it also mm -hmm. hard to get answers because they don't have answers ready. Yeah. Last thing on this, Mark, and that is the letter that the ACLU sends out after Peter's first question, the president's dismissive answer about it, um, despite the walk back from the White House. But the letter the ACLU sends out that night is essentially that the president is wrong. He's either not briefed or he's dead wrong for the ACLU to send out a letter about the current president of the United States with a party that is sympathetic, at least to the ACLU broadly is kind of in and of itself a message and yeah. you know that that it's bold enough to say these leaders are losing power and influence and juice 
Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, how many times has they has Biden had to walk, been walked back? I mean, just at his CNN town hall the other day, he was he said, "Well, we'll defend Taiwan," and then they had to walk it back. He said, "We're going to deploy the National Guard to uh, to help with the supply chain crisis." They had to walk it back. They have to walk him back all the time. I mean, it's like you know, it's like we're being governed by Peter Sellers in uh, you know in uh, in being there, uh, the Chauncey Gardner, <laughs> the president. Um, and in terms of the policy. You know, I, I was a critic of the separation of the border under the Trump administration. So don't get me wrong here. But this administration is separating families at the border. They've, esta- they've established a policy that if, you ca- if you're an unaccompanied minor, we'll take you in. So families are separating themselves voluntarily. They're sending their children unaccompanied into the United States, separating, uh, separating uh, people. I would, I would bet you if you looked at the numbers, there are more separated families as a result of the Biden policies than there ever were under Trump. Um, and, you know, if you people who cross the border are committing a crime, if you if you get arrested on the street and get sent to jail, guess what? You're going to get separated from your from your children uh, because you committed a crime. I don't see how in any rational world an, an ordinary American is going to look and say people came into this country illegally against our laws and they're getting four hundred and fifty thousand dollars more than a more than the families of, a, of you know, of, of slain, uh, f- uh, fallen American soldiers. And that this is then the president think that's right. Uh, that's that, that's a uh, really bad position for them to be in. Yeah. Last word, Mara. I mean, um, this is uh, something that, that somebody at home just says this is ridiculous. Yeah, but, but the White, know, look, White House is, is very, saying this is a, a legal matter and uh, we're right. going to settle it. Look, this is a very complicated thing. Immigration is one of the many issues that has hurt Joe Biden. But. Many of them didn't come across the border illegally. They turned themselves in and then they were separated from their children. These are not people who snuck in, were captured and then separated from their families. Some of them turned themselves in and asked for asylum. And in the process, they were separated. So it's it's very complicated. But there's no doubt that the issue of immigration at the border is something that the White House didn't seem prepared for. I don't know what they thought would happen after they had a welcoming message during the campaign said they would be different from Donald Trump. Uh, But it's become a problem for them. But this particular issue, very complex. And I think when it gets boiled down to really simple slogans, you can lose a lot of nuance. That is true. That's true a lot of times. And we have to be careful about that panel. Thank you so much. On November 8th, 2000, a preliminary vote tally in Florida showed Texas Governor George W. Bush leading Vice President Al Gore by about 1,700 votes in the state. With its 25 electoral votes up for grabs, the presidency hanging in the balance, the winner in Florida would become the next president of the United States. After a lawsuit from Gore and an appeal from Bush, statewide protests, multiple court cases, I was there, hanging chads, all kinds of things. A month later, on December 12, 2000, the U.S. Supreme Court decided against the Florida Supreme Court, remanding the case back for further action. But since the safe harbor, harbor deadline was already passed... George W. Bush remained as the certified winner in Florida and the next president of the United States. Vice President Gore would concede the next day. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Mark, Mara, and Jackie, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. 